Hello, everyone. This is Mark Schultz. Welcome to another episode of Gangly Flamingo. Something interesting, and I hope exciting for today, I'm going to be introducing a new episode type. So, so far, if you've been listening to the show, you've listened to guided meditations, and you've listened or watched guest episodes where we bring folks on and we discuss their journey, have some fun talking about um, their perspectives and their experiences, and that's a longer format. I wanted to introduce some episodes that are shorter format and take a very different approach, uh, something that I'm excited to offer, and I welcome your feedback. What these episodes will be are brief news updates from the space of research being done in the treatment of alcohol use disorder and also social anxiety disorder. So what I'll do is keep an eye on the latest and greatest developments in those areas and highlight some things in these episode types, really just for a purpose of, of discussion and for purposes of keeping us mindful and engaged and connected to the broader curiosity and research and learning going on. I think, at least for me, the Zoom meetings and the community and the journaling and apps like Reframe are incredibly helpful. But I know I'm also, I feel a lot of, I don't know if it's solace or I feel energized and focused when I am exposed to a lot of this broader scientific exploration around the dynamics, the really kind of the why, um, if that's even possible, or at least exploration of new treatments, new ways of thinking about alcohol use disorder, about the psychological dynamics that are in play as we try to redefine our relationships with alcohol or to explore why, uh, why a problematic relationship to it started in the first place. So some caveats, nothing in this podcast is advice. None of it will be endorsing any of the findings, any of the perspectives that are being shared. I really want these to just be little nuggets that we can explore and think about. And hopefully they help me, hopefully they help you. Like I said, stay curious, stay engaged, stay appreciative of the massive amount of work being done in the space, but also to stay thoughtful and take from it any shifts in perspective that may be helpful to us along our way, along our journey, okay? So that's, that's my upfront. And with that, I think let's get into it. The Journal of Substance Abuse Treatment has released results of new research published June 22nd of this year that measured the effect of interactive voice response or IVR on study participants who have alcohol use disorder or AUD and who initiated what they call natural recovery efforts. Now, natural recovery is recovery without treatment or support groups. So what you and I might call white knuckling it. IVRs, as they are known, were made available over the phone to 128 study participants who were problem drinkers. 
Now, the findings included some correlations between a few things. So one, the use of these IVRs, these interactive voice responses were higher among those who had the highest amount of urges and the highest levels of alcohol consumption. From a layman's perspective like mine, that kind of feels reasonable and a bit like common sense. But I think it is important to note that this shows a formal measure of what we would like to assume usually, right? That people with more of a problem, so to speak, or at least, you know, more reason for potential distress would engage with these IVRs over the phone and are seeking to take some sort of action more than others, right? So to me, that seems to show that the alcohol is not shutting them down or shutting down their desire to help, right? Those in dire need do feel the urgency and want to take action. Other results uh, showed that after four to five months of having access to this phone-based IVR system, this interactive system, um, there was some limited reduction in the rate of cravings and that people who used this IVR system did slow their return to problem drinking levels. Now, the investigators do say, of course, that investigation and more research is needed, but that's usually the case for almost all research that they make that statement. Um, so one thing to call out there is it slowed the eventual return to problem drinking, but that shouldn't sound to us like too much doom and gloom, and I'll, I'll get to why in a moment. Um, I mean, I, I think there's a couple things here that can raise some awareness and discussion for us. And really in some ways to reaffirm some things that I think we discuss in, in recovery circles quite often, right? One, daily access to some form of interactive content, be it reframe or other types of apps or, or programs, or even just daily journaling, which we discuss a lot as being something very helpful. You know, any way to interact really with ourselves, so to speak, in some sort of concerted effort to find a routine where we force ourselves to be mindful and to think about our drinking is gonna be beneficial. Two, those types of interactive efforts, right? This IVR system that was tested in this study does, does seem to need formal treatment as well to have a sustained and more successful impact, right? We always say in our meetings, community and support is key. It's a combination of treatments, uh, you know, biological or, or pharmacotherapy, drug treatments, uh, speech therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, those types of things, but also meetings and social interactions and finding your community in this seem to have better success rates. So that's something that I wanted to point out when I mentioned that in this study, it just slowed an eventual return to drinking well, we need to remember they found people who were undertaking natural recovery, as they called it, or recovery that didn't have any of the other support, right? The white knuckling. So I'll post the title of this research, if you're interested, in the discussion notes, along really with any of the works that I cite or, or refer to today, should you be interested and want to follow up. So up next, Contemporary Pediatrics this month reports on a study from earlier this year that was released by the Journal of Child and Adolescent Pharmacology. The study is titled The Impact of Pharmacotherapy on Childhood Onset Psychiatric Disorders on the Development of Substance Use Disorders. So 
the research team conducted what's called a meta-analysis, where they review and analyze data across many already completed and pre-existing studies, trying to identify what we call a new primary outcome or a new core hypothesis that is being investigated. So they looked at 26 studies of adolescent and young adult patients in studies that were published between 1976 and 2021. The researchers, of course, state again that further research and investigation are necessary. They almost always do. But the findings do show that pharmacotherapy, otherwise known as drug therapy, for patients with ADHD was relatively more successful in reducing the eventual development of alcohol use disorder later in the patient's life when that drug therapy was started early and it was prolonged. In other words, when kids started therapy and started taking medication for ADHD earlier, and they had more time in active therapy treatment, the study seemed to show that they had less of a chance of developing a problem with alcohol later on in life. So it's, it's interesting to note that these findings were not replicated, however, when the team looked at drug therapy for depression, right? For depression versus ADHD. The development of substance abuse disorders broadly was reduced, but the, the specific reduction or in the chance of alcohol use disorder was not affected. So I think that's sort of fascinating. You know, again, it's one study only. We take all of this with a, a grain of salt and context, but it's fascinating to know that this type of research is looking at this. And it's interesting to see the difference um, in an ADHD pharmacotherapy drug interaction to treat that and therefore having less uh, chance of progressing to alcohol use disorder later in life. But as opposed to ADHD, depression and having that treated with pharmacotherapy earlier in in life was not necessarily having that much of an impact on progression towards alcohol use All right so i i find it interesting because i don't know there seems to be a lot of discussion lately that, that i see in the recovery community around adhd folks wondering if they may or may not as an adult have it, was it missed as a diagnosis somewhere along the way. Now, I would also, you know, if you're the type like me who might zone right in on that earlier is better finding for these kids and, you know, adolescents and young adults, I wouldn't take this as doom and gloom if you discover that you have ADHD as an adult. It's not like you missed the boat necessarily. I, I just think we need to put this meta context uh, sorry, this meta-analysis into context uh, and just celebrate that as an alcohol-free community, you know, we're seeing advancements of the science. We're seeing folks working on these questions and there's hope for, you know, better intervention, I think, uh, for people at all ages, right? As we continue to, to be curious and, and investigate these topics. And finally today, in some interesting news from the clinical trial front, the National Institutes of Health, a branch of the Department of Health and Human Services, awarded a company called Theranova out of San Francisco with a contract to investigate use of what's called a transdermal neuromodulation system for the treatment of anxiety disorders, particularly general, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, or GAD. Now, transdermal is what it sounds like. It administers treatment across or trans the skin dermal layer. 
So as opposed to something that is subcutaneous or intravenous, et cetera, this is what's called a non-invasive treatment. No knives, no needles, et cetera. The study's description online puts the new device in historical treatment context, right? Explaining that benzodiazepine drugs have been a standard of pharmacotherapy, drug therapy for anxiety for quite a while. Uh, we've probably all heard the street term benzos before, uh, as these therapies can often be abused and have some street value. But there has also been a lot of success found with a procedure called repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation or RTMS. That also is you know, what it sounds like, a procedure you need to have done repetitively again and again to pass magnetism through the skull to stimulate nerves of the brain. Now, if this conjures some alarming images of one flew over the cuckoo's nest, you know, and brutal experimental, historical, psychological experiments, right? It, it, it shouldn't. First of all, electroconvulsive therapy or ECT is not what it was ages ago, uh, but also ECT, you know, uses electricity and, and requires patients to be sedated with an anesthetic, whereas RTMS is using magnetism to affect the prefrontal cortex, right? Uh, they don't need anesthetic, they don't need sedation. Um, and what's amazing is that this procedure, this magnetism procedure is seeing response rates of between 64% to 100% in short-term studies treating generalized anxiety disorder. That's an amazing response rate, very strong. Um, however, the cost of these RTMS, these magnetic studies can run as high as $12,000 for patients and require them to go 20 or 30 or more times for these repetitive sessions. So the, um, NIH and this new company, Theranova are looking for a much more cost-effective, simpler at-home solution with comparable results. So the device is called the Empower neuromodulation system, and it uses inexpensive gel electrodes, a small battery, and the patients are able to just hook this up to themselves at home. Now, why am I talking about this? Why am I bringing up generalized anxiety disorder? It's so on. So yes, Gangly Flamingo talks a bit about anxiety, also its relationship to um, alcohol use and abuse. But what's interesting, um, the, the research is being conducted, as I mentioned, with a focus on GAD. And that study I see is using a very robust research model. Um, it's called a test versus control method, meaning that some of the GAD patients are, are serving as a control and some are serving as experimental test patients. And so the trial is being blinded. Picture, this gets a little complicated if you're not familiar with clinical trials, but picture right, your control group are people that are not getting the treatment. And your test group are people that are getting the treatment. But when you set up the study, you can't let the people know which treatment they're getting. You can't let the folks in the test group know that they're definitely getting a treatment that's being tested. And you can't really let the people in the control group know that they're not getting the treatment, right? Otherwise you run into placebo effects, et cetera, et cetera. It sort of biases all of the results. Um, so usually it's what's called blinded uh, so that no patient can in the trial can really know for sure if the device that they're using is this actual device from Theranova or not. Um, they'll either get that empower device or they'll get a sham device, just a, a 
basically a placebo device. I don't know for sure, but it's kind of funny to picture that it's, it might just light up or, or do something to make them think that it's part of the study. Anyway, that avoids the bias and the placebo effect, as I mentioned. Now, where does this become more relevant for the recovery community, specifically in relationship to alcohol, is that, that there was also a pilot study conducted using this Empower device, right? This home neurostimulator system on patients with alcohol use disorder, and also separately on a, in a study for opioid use disorder. So one thing to note is this AUD trial, this alcohol use disorder trial, was not test versus control and was not blinded. Uh, it was what is called open label, meaning that the patients knew that they were getting actual treatment and what it was. So 20 patients with alcohol use disorder were asked uh, over the course of two weeks um, to do some things. The first week, they were asked not to use the device and to just journal about uh, with certain prompts probably and use that as a baseline. A baseline being something right that you establish the norm for the pre for the patient, and then the second week they actually used the device, and then um, results were tabulated. Right, so from the baseline, the norm, you then see if there is an effect in the second week when they start using the device, and so the results showed that some reduction in average drinks per day were seen. Not crazy results, but some reduction and a reduction in cravings. So this is all directionally very good news. Um, the pilot, you know, I mentioned that this was a pilot, that this was not a very robust study. This was not test study versus control, sorry, a test versus control study, but an open label study, not as rigorous, not nearly as rigorous, but a very good initial pilot study. And I think it's interesting because a, if it's happening at all, then there is, you know, potentially an interesting new treatment method that can be tested, right? Um, because B, if this pilot study is deemed promising enough, they'll probably fund another study, right? Something that is more robust, um, blinded, test versus control, et cetera. And so these future trials might put Theranova on a track to get FDA approval for a device that we could see on the market at some point soon um, for treatment, you know, at home treatment of AUD. So, you know, as we all know, anything in our arsenal as um, people who are going alcohol free, who want to redefine their relationship with alcohol, I think anything will be helpful. Um, you know, combination, as I said before, of community of pharmacotherapy when needed, of interactive responses, as I talked about in the first, the first article. So yeah, I think it's just promising and, and interesting. So that's this week's discussion of recent anxiety and addiction research. I really hope you found it interesting or perhaps something just to keep us engaged and mindful as we're on our alcohol-free journey together. As always, I invite you to reach out to me on social media. Give me your feedback. Were you interested in this show? Did it bore you to tears? I'm open to any feedback, any and all. Uh, but I, I do like this format. It's something I'm excited to bring to you if it's of interest. So thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time.